Welcome to the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here, we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints and their relational networks. My name is Daniel Schugert, and I'm joined today by Logan Wolf and Ross Anderson. Logan Wolf moved out to Utah after discerning a call to engage with the Mormon people and the Utah context in 2011, and has shifted many of the ways that he engages in ministry and in church. And today I'd love to just hear some more about that process for you, Logan. And and so first I, I want to just ask, um, how is it that you um, discerned a call to engage with Mormons and even move out to Utah? Yes, sir. Uh, man, thank you guys for having me. I, I'm I'm eager to talk about this. Uh, I uh, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, and I came to faith um, coming out of middle school, going into high school, and uh, before that, my family wasn't engaged in any kind of church or or Christian faith. Um, but I was at that point, and I remember in high school, I was in tenth grade, and in chemistry class, I sat behind a girl. And um, I just fell madly in like with her. And she uh, she comes, I come to find out she is a, a Mormon. And it was the first Mormon I had ever, I'd ever met. And uh, anyway, we start dating. That's my very first girlfriend. We start dating. And after about a month of dating her, her parents told me that if I'm going to keep dating her, I had to read the Book of Mormon. And like I said, I was madly in like with her so to prove that i read not just the book of mormon but i read all the standard works doctors and covenants pearl of great price like this is it um and it blew my mind <laughs> so i you know you could read the book of mormon maybe and there's enough of it pulled from the bible that you know it's like okay okay but obviously these other books these other standard works it was jarring um i never had seen anything like it. So I go to the Christian bookstore, which is something, you know, North Carolina has. And um, I find this terrible little book called Fast Facts on Mormonism. Um, and not that it was terrible and not that it was like, it was wrong because it's document, it's all, you know, it's true. But I think in its brevity, it comes across a little condescending or arrogant. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, so I read this little book and I, unfortunately, I, I absorbed that attitude, I think, from the, the author. And I go to this girl between classes and I said, look, I have to tell you something. Um, your parents have lied to you. Your church has lied to you. And you're working your way to hell. That's bold. That, well, you know, and here's how stupid high school kids are. In my high school mind, I saw that conversation going a hundred different ways. It never once dawned on me she'd break up with me. Uh, <laughs> and she did like right there in the hall. She broke up with me, um, and surprise. But it was it was catalytic for me, in that I had never this idea of grace plus works, of Jesus and some other like I'd never really been exposed to it in any kind of significant way. So I began to read like everything I could on Mormonism, stuff by. Mormons and Mormon general authorities, stuff by ex-Mormons that became atheists, ex-Mormons that became Christians, stuff by Christians about Mormonism. I mean, it's everything I can get my hands on. I went through all the lessons with Mormon missionaries and as a high school student, 
probably to the point that I was freaking my parents out a little bit. Um, you know, like what's happening, but I just, I, I just, it, it was just overwhelming to me. The, just the thought that we could earn or contribute anything. And I was trying to think just to grapple with it and understand it. And I think through all that reading, God just gave me a burden for, Hey, his whole segments of, of the population, more, not just Mormonism, but you know, there's other, other, other religions and other philosophies as well that um, view, you know, acceptance before God and, and forgiveness as something to be earned, like reached at and just the lack of assurance and joy that can come. And I don't know, it was, it was overwhelming for me. So I, uh, I took a, I decided maybe God's calling me into ministry, maybe specifically missions. Um, so I took a mission trip. I went by myself to Brazil for three weeks to stay with a church planter down in Brazil. And it was so crazy. Like coming even out of the airport, the first thing I saw leaving the airport was the first Mormon temple built outside the U.S. right there in Brazil. And then I saw more Mormons in Brazil than I had ever seen in North Carolina, like herds herds of Mormon missionaries roving the countryside. Um, and it was like, I couldn't, like, so halfway through this trip, like the guy I was staying with, he could, he could discern, I think some, God was doing something. He said, Hey man, tell me what's, what's going on here. Like what's God doing? And I told him about this girl and what I'd read and the conversation that had the missionaries, then what I've seen in Brazil. And he's like, God may be calling you to Utah. And he said, I know someone whose brother, uh, is a church planter in Ogden. And I said, you need to, uh, when you go home, you need to call him and go to Utah and stay for a few days. So I do, I come home, still I'm in high school, come home, find this guy's number. I call him. It's uh, it's Tim Lewis in Ogden. He's now yeah, at, Tim. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's, I call him. I don't know him. And I said, someone told me I should come stay for a few days. Well, can I come out and stay with your family? And will you show me around Utah? And he was very gracious uh, and did. He picked me up from the airport and um, showed me around Temple Square and all this. And I remember we were at Temple Square. And this was before they redid the History Museum just a few years ago. So you, know, you walk through the History Museum and you get to that backside initially and there was a big exhibit on baptism for the dead and the big exhibit on eternal marriage they're not there anymore but he said uh and it was like an offhanded comment he just said you know it's so easy to think we all believe the same thing and that's it and he said i come here and i'm always, it's like a jolt i'm reminded that we're we're on different pages you know and i don't something about just how he said it or that kind like being there like god got all over me and I, at that moment, standing next to Tim Lewis in at Temple Square, like I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to Utah. And so I became, I kept coming back to Utah every summer since then, since I was six, 15, and staying. I stayed with Tim, and then I stayed. He had an associate missionary, Scott Warren, uh, who ended up coming to Salt Lake City. I stayed with him from then on, and Scott was showing me all around Utah one trip, and uh, was showing me cities that had no Christian churches. Or, or little little to no Christian churches. And I remember one day we did just a lot of driving and we he lived in Taylorsville and he drove me down and we were in Provo. And uh, I don't know if it was a whim or if it was spirit led or what, but that was Provo was the only city where we parked and got out. And we parked in front of the old courthouse. They've moved it, you know, a couple blocks um, recently, but they parked in front of the courthouse and we got out and we walked the block. And that i mean as soon as i stepped out like this is it when we come to provo um and so i did i went into bible college no one was coming to provo and i when i engage you know proposed to my wife um 
I told her, I said, this is the plan. Like we're kind of Provo. So she actually took a trip out here to see it for herself. You know, it's easier to break off an engagement, I guess, in a marriage. And uh, so we're coming. And so that was it. And we, when we got married, we raised money and we moved out here and we've been here in Provo since, since 2011. That's definitely a story of God calling and directing and making it clear to you. This is where you have to be. Um, so I, I'm curious, how did your experience in Brazil influence your, your thought process on contextualized ministry based on the culture? Yeah, so that was Brazil. Did it, it? It helped me. I think break the barrier of leaving home in the Bible Belt, like getting out there, seeing the okay, and God just kind of using that to solidify in my mind to go, like to be sent. But it's interesting. While I was there, um, I don't think that particular ministry I saw and experienced did a tremendous job of contextualization to the point that they had essentially recreated a Bible Belt church, mm -hmm. an American Bible Belt church in the city of Brazil. Um, and I'm not, that's no, I think that's, I don't think he knew in one way or the other. So it's not, I'm not faulting anyone. Um, I essentially did the same thing when I moved to Utah. So I, that's what I saw as a missionary. Oh, we go and we, this is what church is. And so when I first moved to Utah, um, I basically, no one ever taught me, this is the dumbest thing. We send church planners out and never tell them how to start a church. No one taught me how to start a church. <laughs> and so I came to Utah and I basically just reproduced what I had seen right. um, there in Brazil in North Carolina. And um, I started a Bible Belt, North Carolinian, Southern, you know, American church in Provo, Utah with no contextualization, um, which you know, the shortcomings of that were very quickly evident. You know, we did, um, we moved in May and we started, we, we had preview services planned because that's what all the church planning books said to do, right? So we moved in May, we did a preview service in June, July, and August, one a month, trying to get a team. No one came to those preview services, um, which was foreshadowing. And then we did our big launch service in September of 2011 and 14 people came. And it, it was me and my wife, some friends from out of town, so single-digit locals. Um, and I, the service was it. I mean, we had rows set up. I stood up front in a suit and tie. I preached, you know, a 45-minute message, and um, that was it. And then for the next full year, no one showed up. It was just me and my wife. Um, and we had already rented this conference center, so we would show up. And we just kept doing the same thing. We didn't know we would do any different, right? So we'd set up and we'd have the rows. And I spent my whole week, my whole week was spent writing this sermon and all this. And we'd come in, we'd wait by the door and no one would come. So I would just preach to my wife because that's what you're supposed to do, right? So I just, I would preach to her um, and she wouldn't get saved. And then um, I, we would, <laughs> it was I'd be like every head bowed, every eye closed. She's like, what? <laughs> Like, uh, I see that hand. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we just, we, we slugged in that forever. And people in the Bible Belt that sent us, like, we're applauding the perseverance and the fact that we are slugging it out. And it's just like, good for you. Just being faithful, being faithful. I don't think being faithful as an end in itself is what we're after in ministry. Like we can do ministry and disciple making 
more effectively. And if we see ways to do that, we should be willing to acknowledge it and change and make those adjustments. Um, and it unfortunately it took me years to come to that point. But you know, Utah and engaging a Mormon culture, this is a different place than North Carolina. And I think you have to have the humility and the openness to acknowledge that and be willing to say what I've always known or what I've always experienced may not be what is going to be effective in this setting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, Logan. And I think what that one of the things that that tipped us off to is that part of doing contextual ministry is being very aware of my own culture, the culture that I bring to a situation and being able to deconstruct that to some extent, being able to ask uh, how much of that is the culture I was raised in, regional culture, whatever, uh, national culture, or how much of that is re- really biblically shaped. Right. And, and so I can't, I can't really do the work of evaluating my host culture unless I'm also willing to do some work in evaluating my own um, yeah. inherent, inherited culture. Yes, sir. I, and, and it took us forever to come to that point. You know, that first couple of years, I think we did a good job of like, uh, I mean, we again, the Bible Belt, there was a lot, I think, that was preached and taught that was primarily preferences and not necessarily Bible. And so that first few years, we did a lot of shaking that kind of stuff off. But the actual ministry contextualization, like you're getting at, Ross, that actually didn't happen for a long time. And I, you know, to come to that point, and I think God, God brought us to a low point where we had to do it. But if we had done that on the front end, um, I think we would have seen a lot more fruit and have been in a better place, I think, just ministry-wise. Yeah, so what what changed? You went from, uh, you said, over a year of preaching to a, an audience of one, a single congregation, and then, uh, so what began to happen that has shaped um, some of your changes to your approach? Yeah, um, I think the, the fact that we started to see people was just the by by a virtue of that we were showing up at everything um and we don't do this now like i don't see the i didn't see any significant value in it but we would go to every single community event that we could get a booth or a space at and just show up um i mean everything we were every chamber of commerce event the freedom festival every fourth of july festival we were at you know the women's expo and all these fairs and events the utah valley wood carving show um, we actually showed up, you know, we had so all this just random stuff. We were there um, and we were passing out church invitations um, and trying to get people to like the actual gathering spot, which hindsight, that's not how I would have utilized those events. Um, I think so often we fall into that trap of we invite people to a service or an event where they can hear the gospel there instead of just in the moment just sharing Jesus with someone like just share Jesus you know and so we were doing all this and so people would trickle in there was never any really like regular so like we grew to like 12 and 15 people but it was never the same 12 you know as people just from those events and so we did that for for years and then five years in that one of those guys that I stayed with as a teenager Scott that I mentioned just a moment ago um it tells me, hey, I'm 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 gonna leave Utah. I'm going back to Arkansas. Will you take over my church? And he is in Salt Lake County. Uh, they had their own building, a very big building across from City Hall. And and I'm like, I don't want to leave Provo. I've been you know persevering for five years and all this. And he's like, no, 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 don't don't leave. Um, would you consider doing multi-site? And I had never 
like thought of it and I was like, okay, that's maybe something we could do. Um, but from the time he asked that till the time he left, it was one month. And oh. so it was like chaos. And yeah, it was chaos. We're this confusion. People are ble- we're bleeding people. I mean, it's crazy. But um, through that merger, whatever it was, um, we did a little bit of rebranding of ourselves. And then we got out of that conference center in Provo and got a building right across from BYU. So now we have two buildings. I inherited some staff. Uh, I had a campus pastor up there and a campus pastor down here in Provo. We had this worship camp. I kind of felt like, man, I've arrived. Like this is going from just preaching to my wife to like overnight. Like this is it, man. I had people. It was like a hundred and some people now. Like, this is awesome. Um, and we did that for three years. And I remember three, so eight years in, so three years doing multi-site, eight years into Utah. I remember one Sunday looking out over the body and realizing there's not one person here that I've led to Jesus and that I've been walking with, like discipling, showing them how to live out their faith. And that was like, that was significant, like a significant epiphany. Um, and just having to grapple with how, like, you know, how much of my time and energy, all of our money, it's just going towards this extra mm-hmm. biblical structure we've created. Like all the, we, we, the buildings we had were older buildings. We're pouring all this money and time into the buildings. Mm-hmm. And, and we've created all these programs and I'm having to hold all this up. And like, I'm not, I'm not doing what I moved across the country to do. It's not what God called me to do. And so uh, again, I'm still in that, that mentality. I thought I could fix this by, uh, if I get a very dynamic four-part sermon series, I can start making some disciples. You know, I'll start making disciples. If I get a good hashtag and a good graphic, it'll fix this problem. We'll start making disciples. Um, and that day, I mean, I did. I preached on all the one another commands, and I preached on the Great Commission, and I preached on being a good neighbor and neighbor, a whole series on neighboring. And, and I said, oh, I'm just getting more frustrated and more frustrated. And um, to the point that one Sunday in the flesh, I'm like, you know, like you guys are just a bunch of spectators and consumers and, and blah, blah, blah. And then I said, and then it dawned on me here. It's like, come back next Sunday and watch as I finish this. And I was like, oh, like what we have is what we're set up to get. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a, God was really doing a lot in my heart. And so anyway, we ended up selling the buildings, getting out of the buildings and moving into house churches. And that was new to all of us. We had never done anything like, like no one had been part of one. So we're learning as we go. You know, that first year in house churches was terrible. Like it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but we come into swing of things and we're learning some principles and we're learning some practices. And, and then God begins to send people. And people um, looking for Jesus. And I remember we got a phone call one day from a BYU student, a married BYU student. And she was specifically looking for a small commu- like, a community like that. Um, and she comes in and she participates and, and he's talking with her. And she had all this hurt. Um, she had been very hurt by her church leadership and was wanting a place where she could talk through it and process it and have people support her in it. And she found like, she found it in a smaller community where there's space to do that to just 
what's we can unpack it together and we started seeing more of that where people it was so crazy like people coming explicitly looking for that and then we had a, a couple show up another a, a mormon couple show up that had actually joined us one sunday in the buildings and then disappeared like we didn't see them forever but then they showed back up when we were in the house churches and they were talking to us about it and they said you know we we wanted to transition out of mormonism like we did we realized in this uh god was showing us that this isn't it and we came to your church and it felt just like the mormon church like it was the same structure like you know and that that may be part again because we're coming more it was more of a bible belt feeling church right they came in and it was one person up front telling you what to believe and we're all wearing the 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 dress clothes and we're you know we got the, the couple songs so she's it there was no different than the than the mormon church. and it'd be i mean I, that was hard to hear like we came here to reach mormons and then we spent all these years like <laughs> deflecting more you know and but you know if you guys go to, if you've been to a mormon service like you if you were to mute a mormon service and mute a, like a conservative baptist church service they are pretty much they look the exact same you know and so that was like a big awakening for me and um then like god using that to tell like hey lean into as people people are looking for a place to process out loud and to engage the word for themselves right and not be told and this is a, a big principle of uh what we're learning in the, in the house church setting and daniel could attest to this i think people are more apt to believe what they learn for themselves than what you stand up and tell them to believe you know i could i could stand up front and tell them this this and this and but if we were to just walk through the word together and give people space to interact with it, man, it's been a very rich, very rich season in that regard. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like there were some people that had expressed to you when they were a part of your church and it looked a lot like and it was very familiar um, to their LDS experience that that kind of turned them off. And so it then recreated interest in them was, oh, this this different model, totally unlike what they had experienced in the past with Mormon church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ha have you experienced any people that were kind of on the other side where they, they really liked the familiarity of the the structure that felt like Mormonism uh, and, and then actually chose we don't we don't like the the way that the house church feels now because it's too far from their comfortable experience yeah um i don't know any mormons that have expressed that um i know people that come from christian backgrounds that have expressed that <laughs> yeah um you know but i think it's it is what what you make of it so if you're looking for some place to slip in and not be known um it's going to be uncomfortable house church or a a, a well-led small group or a well-led sunday school class where there's interaction and discussion it's going to press in to full participation right so uh, if, if you're trying not to participate you're not going to enjoy it and that's with any of those settings and i get there's space for and so maybe that's why we haven't seen many mormons do that because they're not looking for this you know if they're not looking for it, they're not going to come find it but i i mean i know some great brothers here across the county i mean even scott over at center point that have mm -hmm. people come in where it's a big enough group you come in you sit you're not known you're not engaged in any real way and you dip out and if there's a need for that in your spiritual journey there's if that's what you know it's involved in you kind of tr making that transition like that by all means there's I think there's good space for it. 
Um, but I also think in a, as we grow in our faith and maturity, there has to be space where we are connecting meaningfully with people on that same journey. And we are engaging meaningfully for ourselves with the word of God. And so I don't think the slipping in the back, sitting and dipping out is a healthy alternative to some, you know, some, I'm leaving the Mormon church and now I just, I show up every once in a while in the back row of this Christian church. I don't think that's a good place to land. It may be a stepping stone, but I don't know if I would encourage someone to, that's, that's good for you. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's really a thoughtful uh, consideration because I feel like there, there's still, there's a, a growing spectrum of, of experiences in Mormonism. And so, you know, what we're learning, I mean, maybe in the 90s or whatever, there was more of one experience. I don't know. Mormon has never been totally monolithic, but, but there's this growing number of experiences um, relating to like, what kind of Mormon were you and what was your experience like and what kind of, what community do you live in? And so, so, so I think for a lot of people still leaving Mormonism, there's, there's always been, this kind of value of anonymity in the yeah. process where, because if you get outed before you're ready to be outed, that's awkward and so forth. And so I think that there, there's a sense in which that does speak to a number of people in, on that journey. Yeah. And, but I'm, I'm with you hundred percent, Logan on that. That certainly might be a first step, but or it might be a third or fourth <laughs> step even for many, but it's not the, the, it's not the final, we have to be in relationship and we have to be interacting with, with the word individually and with other Christians, you know, yeah. in, in some kind of discipleship relationship. And so at, at our car, at our, our church, which is more attractional, which is more larger in size, come in, be anonymous. We, we've, we've trying to put uh, to encourage people to get involved in small groups and good small groups, but it's a big, it's a big step for many to move from that, anonymous and comfortable and, you know, and, and to go be vulnerable in a group. And part of the challenge that I've observed is that there's no, there's nothing analogous in the LDS community um, culturally to people getting together in somebody's house and talking about, you know, matters of faith. So, because there, so, so there's a double edged sword here that we're, we're trying to figure out um, the sweet spot in each in each setting, the double ed, the two edges, the sword are that number one, um, we want to meet people at a place that is intelligible to them. So whether you use the word comfortable or familiar or whatever, so I say, well, a small group is not really intelligible to most Latter Day Saints. It does like what you're doing, what? Um, but on the other hand, then the other side of it is that increasingly there's a there's a hunger and a, and a desire for that kind of authenticity and that kind of real human engagement that uh, we're in the LDS church uh, structure, there's no vulnerability because if there's no grace, there's no room for vulnerability. Right. So, and so you have these, these sort of competing um, principles that work in Mormon culture and trying to figure out, you know, how to respond to that. And I think a lot of it is this it's encouraging that there's that there's different churches who are who are tackling different parts of that equation, I guess, and and we're embracing um, different aspects of that larger audience. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's what I mean because I don't think you can come in and say one's right or wrong. Um, I think we should, if, whatever you do, I think you should 
should build it on biblical principles. And those the principles yes, yes, I think should transcend culture and context. So right. we should be able to flesh those out in a bunch of different ways. But in a setting like here, like where there isn't direct parallels in culture, uh, I mean, that's the countercultural nature of, of the Christian life and ministry and message, mm -hmm. right? There's going to mm -hmm. be aspects of it that actually has to come in that just, wow, this, I've never known anything like this before. <laughs> like, this is totally yeah, different. Absolutely. And that also speaks to, Ross, I think the need of equipping the individual believer, the individual Christian to go out and engage because yeah. you're right, even the big, the big traditional church, the big box church, whatever you want to call it, down to the small group or the house church, it, it, you're going to be a bunch of people that maybe don't even come into the, either of those settings. And so how are we engaging our neighbors or our, our family or our coworkers? And I think there has to be that releasing of the individual, like, hey, in this context, you may be the point of grace for this person because they may never, or at least in the immediate, find themselves in a different setting. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, let's talk about that for a minute, Logan. And so, what have you guys discovered about what does it take to, on an individual basis, to engage a Latter Day Saint or someone who's coming out of of Mormonism? Yeah, um, one of the biggest lessons I have learned personally, just in the last almost you know twelve years, is is a lot of patience. <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I say that in, and this is not just with engaging, you know, Mormon neighbors and friends. This is with anybody. I always feel I fall into this trap. I always feel people should be further along than they are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like it's always like, why? You know, and it's so that's so foolish, right? Because there's things God has shown me that he has taken the last dozen years to show me. It took 12 years to learn this lesson. And then I get upset that someone doesn't learn it in 12 minutes. Uh, and so there is a sense, I think we need to be sensitive to what God's doing in our own lives and then extend that same patience and grace towards others. Like this is, this is, can be a process and God has been very patient with me. So to extend that to others, I think that's always a good takeaway. I've also, um, we've been pressing in as we were equipping and releasing people. We've had people, man, do have some incredible conversations with others, but really, and remind people not to get bogged down in the secondary and the tertiary issues. Um, you know, there's there's a lot we can talk about and a lot we could quote unquote debate or show, you know, not all of that, I would say none of that um, is life-giving. Like none of that will save you, you know? Like we can win an argument and we can show all the documentation, we can prove our point but at the end of the day, if all we do is win an argument and prove our point, you know, was that worth our time? And so we really press into the, to, uh, we equip people like the severity of sin, I think is huge, especially compared to the watered down idea that, that maybe the Mormon theology, right? So it's how big yeah. sin is. And yeah, then just this, it's a big deal. And then that sufficiency of Christ, like he has done everything um, and giving them some talking points, some scripture to, to, you know, share that story. Like, Sin's so big, I can't do anything. Thank God Jesus has done it all, you know, and camping out on those two things and yeah. just, you know, not that there's not a place where people may have to deal with some of that baggage and those questions. But I have I have found that if when people come to Jesus, understanding the severity of their sin, and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, a lot of the big things they thought they had to talk about just go away. Yeah, they just fall into place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. That's a good point. Yeah, that's helpful. So, I mean, a big issue that you know see, comes up, it seems like all all the time in terms of engaging Latter Day Saints, is um, you know the 
reliability and, and authority of the Bible. So how do you work that? How do you, do you just assume that and just use the Bible or do you have to use an apologetic to try to convince people before, because this is where I'm getting my, you know, understanding of Jesus, et cetera. So how does that work for you guys? I'm always going to come in first and just use the Bible, just assume this is the authority. Um, you know, I think sometimes we come in leading with apologetics and I think there's a place for it, but if we come in leading, we can get in the bushes and we're proving like all these, like the proofs, right? This, 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 so this must be true. Um, And I don't even bring that stuff up until it's clear. There's some big stuckage in the conversation and then we can circle back to it. But you know, it's been good. Like I think of the last maybe half dozen conversations I've had with, with Mormon friends and neighbors and even strangers that have reached out to us through like our website or something um just say hey you know do you believe the bible and they're going to say yes you know whether or not they preface it with whether or not it's interpreted correctly or whatever but okay if you do so do i let's just use that for this conversation Mm -hmm. and that has been a good i haven't had to do much more than that as far as jumping into it you know so i'm always going to lead with that but you know and i have this is a this is something i'm learning too brother do i really believe do i really personally believe that the bible is going to do what God says it's going to do. That's a great point. Uh, and that, and, there, and but there's been times I haven't believed it. Like I felt like I had to, you know, bring all this other stuff to conversation. And then there's times you just say, Lord, this is your word, your spirit. I'm going to just present it and I'm trusting you're going to use it. And it's been incredible. There's been, dude, there's been times we've shared it. Like we just shared it at this, this place just up the road here in Orem, me and another brother and like right in front of us. Like God saved someone. Like it was crazy, you know, and that's just the power of the word and the spirit doing it. I didn't have to come in with all this argumentation and documentation. I just let the word speak. So I think there's, I think that's probably where we should start and then kind of circle yeah. around with anything else. Yeah, that, that's great. I love that perspective. That's my, in my, my perspective, I feel like apologetics and so forth has a place yeah. more on, more on farther along in the conversation even after a person maybe has made a profession of faith to confirm them yeah. in that, you know, confirm them that, Oh, they're, they've rejected Mormonism. Well, there's some reasons why. And, and here's some things that are going to help you not regret your, dis- or think twice. Yeah. About your or then it kind of confirm the things that God's already been doing in that person's life. Well, and that does that. Apologetics do that, does that for everyone. Right. Because when I first encountered Jesus, I didn't have to know all the archeological evidence. I didn't have to know before I chose to follow Jesus. Like it was the message of Jesus. And then when you learn those things, it's like, Oh, it just builds your faith up and help. But that's, you're right. I think it's something to to backfill with and maybe not necessarily have feel like you have to lead with every single time. Yeah. Good. For sure. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I think it'd be fun to circle back into um, some of the conversation we were having a minute ago of, you know, I, I think you were beginning to express that when you transition from meeting in the multi-site couple buildings to meeting in a handful of homes, uh, it didn't solve all your problems right away. Like that, no. that, wasn't the, <laughs> that wasn't the antidote that just fixed everything. Um, so, so what I'm curious of is, what are some remaining things that have brought value uh, to to meeting for church in homes um, that are relevant and cultural to yeah. Mormonism in Utah? Yeah, no, just jumping into homes is not 
I would never tell anybody. You want to fix all your church problems? It actually brought a lot more problems up. Um, so it was not a, it was not a smooth are different kind of problems. Though, it, was, right? it was not yeah. a smooth transition at all. Um, and of course, even in that, God showed me a lot of my own shortcomings and, and, and abilities. So it was it was a rough season for sure. But there's space as you gather um, the, the the participant the participation in the word, I think, has been a big key of it. And, and opening up that and not saying, I have authority to show you this, so believe it, but saying, hey, this is something all of us can come to and pull stuff out of. And it's been, and, and granted, someone who's a believer, the word's going to hit them differently than someone who's an unbeliever. You know, we, we, we got to consider the work of the spirit and, and whatnot. But it's been crazy, like, as, even as Mormons have come and sat with us at different times, seeing them pull things out um, for themselves. And the truth, like there it is, it's right in the text and, and begin to apply it and wrestle with it. And that's invaluable having that kind of interaction, the word, I think another thing that's been valuable is recognizing that everyone has something different to contribute. And so, you know, you look at, we talk about that spectrum of where someone might be, if they're transitioning out of Mormonism, um, I can't assume I'm always the person to help that person. But when the body here, you got a group of people and they've got different experiences and different spiritual gifts and they're at different places in their walk. Man, I have brought people that they were my friend, my contact, my my neighbor. I brought them into a gathering thinking, that, hey, this will be good. And someone else entirely is the person they click with. And that's the relationship now. And they're the ones going out and talking. And like, man, praise God, right? And I think... I think we need to be very open-handed, regardless of our ministry setting or our context, open-handed with, I'm not the end-all to what God's doing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a piece of it. And I think house church, that house church setting and that emphasis on participation really allows for that. That this is a group effort, this community that Ross was talking about earlier, being connected. Yeah, like that's, I think, one of the big takeaways for me personally. Yeah, and how do you see your, your role in um, your, your church and other churches that meet in homes that you are connected to? Our role is so far as what, the work in Utah? Or what, do you, what do you mean? Yeah, what is, what is your level of engagement with your church and the churches you're connected to? Yeah, so for me personally right now, um, it's a new phase and I'm I'm muddling my way through it a little bit. So we are we are in a network of house churches. There's in it's a, a loose affiliation. Um, I think we're all pursuing the same thing together. And one of the things we see biblically is you make disciples. We go into an area, we make disciples. You gather the disciples, and then you see there is this season of of witness. They're being together. God's moving among them, and then they're backfilling. Um, with health. And a big part of that is appointing local leadership. And so that there's a church that meets in my home here in Provo. And um, big, it's actually probably too big for it's like a mega house church. Um, so it's not, it's not what you want. We need to, we need to multiply it. But we just, we just, they've been, they've gathered for a couple of years. We've gone through the biblical process of showing them from the Bible, what it looks like to appoint local pastors, local elders, uh, shepherds, whatever word you want to use. Um, and so we have appointed two two local pastors, two local shepherds here in Provo that aren't me. And I don't know what started it. And so now I'm kind of bounced. I'm like, I'm still anchored here. I'm accountable, I think, to this body. But I've I've actually been pouring into one of our churches up in uh, 
um, Taylorsville this last couple of months, especially, and help. They've got so many new disciples up there that have come to faith out of Catholicism and out of Mormonism, and I've been helping them get some some uh, some good foundation up there. And so I see that, and then you know the same sort of thing. I share a little bit of that 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 work and that vision casting with some of the other other churches as well, and connecting with those brothers because we got stuff happening. We know this, Daniel, from north of you up there in Ogden to all the way down to Cedar City. There's stuff happening, and so there is this kind of um, just helping, helping these, these co-laborers, um, I think, um, get these new disciples up and up and running. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, is that what you're getting at? You t <laughs> tell me what you want me to say. <laughs> <laughs> tell us everything that we need to know. <laughs> so Logan, how can people get connected with you or uh, learn more about uh, the lessons you've been learning and how you guys have learned to shift around church and ministry engagement? Yeah. Oh, man. I would, yeah. You, of course, anyone who's, who's um, local and wants to either, you know, jump in with us for a service um, can go to our website. It's crosspointutah.com. And um, there's going to be as so we don't because we're house church, we don't just put our all the home addresses online. Um, so we don't do that at all. So to connect with us, um, you, you fill out there's a little survey on there says connect with us and um, we meet with people one on one ahead of time. And so it depends on where they're at. We'll push them. We've, we'll push them to you know, any church in our network, depending on where they are. But if you're not in, if it, there's also on that survey if you're interested in learning how to do something similar in your own neighborhood like you may not they're not be, may not be a group or a church near you or you want to you know god's calling you to do something with your own neighborhood your own neighbors we'd love to walk with you through that so you can fill that out on our website crosspointutah.com and if you're connecting with me personally i mean i've got a, a link tree um you know link tree what, what's the website link tree um logan wolf and um you can actually schedule even make a call with me there. You can see any previous interviews, all that kind of stuff's there. Just all my personal stuff is on that link tree, that link tree page. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I know I'm super encouraged <clears throat> just by the stories that you are sharing and the way that God has uh, called you and directed you and, and brought um, so much fruit through your work and even those that you're you're connecting with. So I'm, I'm very thankful um, for you coming out and sharing with us today. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.